0: To his left and he's on his way. Ten, nine, five, three, cut down. Wonderful try. We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just busts through the defense. Just watch this. Spallaring that beautifully. In go the ice for us. This is Lennon.
1: evening and welcome to the Mocast. Good evening.
2: Good evening. <laughs> he's, still,
1: <laughs> he's still surprised from the weekend where Ireland won a test series in New Zealand, defying my predictions that we would be lucky to win a game on the tour. Um, to start off, let's go through some parts of the game uh, bit by bit before maybe we talk about it in a, in a wider context. I've been watching a lot of uh, New Zealand punditry and by New Zealand punditry I mean Justin Marshall John Kerwin and Jeff Wilson the nation's three pundits Uh, and they keep they are all three of them have remarked repeatedly about uh, Ireland going to the corner especially in the first five minutes and then well I guess guess in both instances that we scored tries and I think it's funny that it stands in contrast with us not going to the corner against France and our our other like the other huge make or break game uh, that we had this season and um, and also like all the times we go to the corner and it didn't come off but the for some reason it stuck in the and the New Zealand mind that uh, this was uh, you know a different Irish mindset than before mm. that's 16 in the
2: minerals <laughs> just to <laughs> exactly. mark it <you>, <laughs> uh, and you know he did that's to minerals the fellow though who had the biggest minerals of all on that occasion was Rob Herrick who <laughs> Bonkersly decided to take a, take a static ball and just go open into four All Blacks and somehow scored some fucking greatest try I've ever seen. Sure. How we did it?
0: Yeah, like you see Rob Herring at the back, and you go unless he like falls over the line, uh, glued onto this ball. He ain't scoring because I've seen this so often in the URC that, like, I, I know how this one ends. And then he bolted off, and I was like, oh, good grief. And then I saw the arm going up from Barnes, and I was like, no
2: way. He's, he literally just exploded through four All Blacks and slammed the ball on the line. <laughs> it's fucking unbelievable, try from Rob Perry. It did so much for Ireland in in the game but also the series of like the test series, the tour, the entire year, <laughs> Farrell's entire career, like score naturally was so big. So fucking happy for him, so proud of him. I I
0: think it was the greatest indication of the belief and the confidence that the team have, which is which is Farrell's voodoo, which is way beyond what I expected and you know we we talked about Farrell, Farrell being a vibes man we talked about this coaching ticket and like well prepared to hang Mike cat to dry and get you know get rid of him it's only a matter of time before Lancaster came in and we've already apologized for that so you know I just think you have to hold up our hands to go how wrong we were but yeah. not alone and um, and then always prepared to sort of cut Farrell some slack for for some unknown reason other than He's, he's likeable. <laughs> and you're kind of going, yeah, but like, cat isn't
1: that yeah.
0: Um. So then when they're going down, like, I didn't think we'd win a match down there. And the, the of, of all the things that have come across, it's the belief and the, the autonomy that Farrell has given to the players. Um, and they're, they're different things, you know, so the, he seemed to... Ask, you know, each of them, did they think they were going to win the test series? You know, could they win the test series? Where are they going to win the test series? And he got like favorable responses. He wanted guys. So, you know, they convinced themselves of that. And then the way he's set up that the, the leadership group, and again, like there's gifs and clips of Tyke Furlong being very animated while there's a kick taking place, laying down what they needed to do. And, Far- and Farrell had referred to Furlong uh, the week before. And how he taken over the leadership group. So that finish by Herring was the embodiment of a guy who never should have been able to score that try, uh, doing it. And like that, that's that's confidence. It's like it, it's just unreal, it's, you know. So how long would it be before we started talking about the World Cup? But not not particularly for for this team and what it means. But it's just like if you like an unlucky team is not going to win the World Cup. Like You you need to be a lucky team. They need to be very good, but you sort of need and like look, if there's an exception that proves the rule, it's probably New Zealand in 2011, but they were the best team by far and they were playing at home and they fell over the line. So, an unlucky team can win it um, only if they're miles ahead and playing at home. I'll qualify that then. I'll I'll disqualify my earlier statement. (laughs)
2: No yo know, I, I have to weigh in with you uh, to agree with you, Roder. Like I just didn't see us winning I didn't see us winning a match on this tour. I thought we could be competitive to some degree, but like winning New Zealand is, is really, really hard. And uh, I'm still I have to say I'm still it's beginning now. Uh, to now we're talking about it, to to accept that we've won a test series in New Zealand because I never thought that would happen in my life. Like, for, like fucking nobody wins test series in New Zealand. So um, it's a huge, in my opinion, it's the best accomplishment in Irish rugby. It's, uh, it's better than the uh, better than the Grand Slams because it's harder to do than the Grand Slams. I've read an argument that says, Oh, we've only won three Grand Slams, they really hard for us to you go. Yeah, but other teams win Grand Slams all the time. Like other teams don't go to any teams in and win series.
0: Yeah, I w- I was thinking about it the same way, and I, I couldn't come to a unanimous decision in my head. So on the the Grand Slam argument is the fact that it's on during the Six Nations, obviously, but like the Six Nations are rugby's time to shine in Ireland in particular and yeah. in you know, in, in the British like you know, like at February to mid March, there's nothing else on. The Six Nations has been on in that slaughter a few weeks before it for like over a hundred years. Um, you know, people go to the matches, they go to the away matches. Like there's there's such a it's associated with that year that like it it really involves the entire country. But then I was there going. I couldn't tell you how many teams have won the Grand Slam in the last 20 years. Like, I don't know if Wales have won three or four. I don't know if France have won three or four. I don't know if England have won. I know that we've won two, and I can tell you the years. But not only do I not, like, I don't even know the years the other teams have won it. I couldn't tell you how many times they've won it. And, yeah. you know, I think, and then you look at it and you go, but I think it's double figures uh, in 20 years. And certainly in 25 years, it'd be double figures. I'm saying certainly. I, you know, that would be my estimate. Because I think... Anyway. Um, but I know all the teams that have won Test Series in New Zealand.
2: And this is the first... This is the first... We're the first team to have won one in the professional era.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. It, I have to say, I, I, I really agree with the thing about... I, I never... I never considered it. I never considered we go down there <clears throat> and win a test series. And it was only after we won the second test in a fashion where, even given all the caveats that game had around, you know, the refereeing and the cards and all that, blah blah blah, it was only like I only had six days to like go. Yeah, we might actually win this. Like, because we do, it was the way we played in the in the in the second test, allied to the way we played for say twenty minutes before shit in the bed in the first test or before dropping the ball rather than shitting the bed, because shitting the bed is a lot worse than dropping the ball. And, you know, we played really good stuff in the first 20 minutes of the first test. So you're going like, oh yeah, this, you know, maybe it's going to be a tour too far at the end of a long season. And then after the second test, you're going like, well, you're never going to have a better opportunity than right now. And so there was so little time to be in, like we were never in with a shape to win one before, you know? And then, just we had just a short time to get our head around the fact that it's there. It can be there.
2: Yeah, and that second Maori match gave everyone a real lift, I think, because in the first Mary match it was like it was a it was a disappointing outing from the Irish selection. And in the second yeah, and it was a it was a scratch team who had never played together. Literally never played together, full of combinations who would never, never play together. So um then the, they essentially trained as a, as a team. You know, they would be been the team in opposition to the test side for two weeks, and they came out and they had improved so much. And also, I have to say, in that in that second Mary game, because I just watched it again there recently, because uh, the first time I watched it, I watched it on the phone. I was in the airport. And uh, I still kind of go like, Jesus, the Mary's kicking game in that was... <laughs> Fucking atrocious. <laughs> I have never seen a team invited into the game as much as we were by their terrible <laughs> They were absolutely catastrophic. And, you know, we took advantage of it. We took advantage of it. We didn't play amazingly well, but we were coherent. And we were really dogged. and uh, And, you know, they cut their own fucking throats in that one. But it gave us a huge boost going into that third test because you got, got on to me and you're saying, I think we could win this one. And I was there going, maybe you're right. Like, I didn't think we we're going to win any of them. <laughs> We've won the last two.
1: Yeah, the real the shift in, in the way the team played in the second Mary game, where in the first game you're like, oh yeah, it's a thrown together team that never played together. They don't have any cohesion. And then in the second one, you're going, like, we played test match rugby and the Mary played barbarians rugby. And you're going, Oh, yeah, they're throwing together a team as well. Even Mm -hmm. though there's a lot, you know, a lot from Wellington in the squad that was picked, they still like, you know, don't play that regularly. And they do have a bit of a, this is New Zealand Mary rugby, as in like, you know, run it from everywhere, try, try stuff. Um, and we played a much more, a much more cohesive game. Like a more, a more like a test match game. And like the, the amount they gelled in the two weeks in between the two Mary games was was very remarkable. Um and like I I think there's you know a kind of echo in the test match then. Not that New Zealand play whatever barbarian style rugby, but like they're so less sure of themselves in terms of what the overall style they're doing is than the Irish team are. Mm. I agree. Yeah, big time, I, I,
0: which is sort of surprising. I, Izzy Dagg was interviewed on the uh, Murray and Gav Casey's podcast, and he talked about the fact that the Irish team went for the malls and scored, and particularly the early trial, like the fact that they went up the guts, and just like quite a big... Uh, psychological statement that made. And I was sort of surprised how savvy he was to it as a um you know as a fullback winger. And then I thought, well, geez, like he's an all black, you know, like he's he's played at the at the highest level. But it kind of I suppose it was like a reinforcement of of how much a good, a really like I mean geez a great Kiwi team, a great all black team, how much they understood everything in the game like you know you we we'd often talk in Ireland about like the the props and their uh, catch pass skills and the fact that like this is the difference in New Zealand rugby that they could all hone and then perform these skills and like I think it was Tony Woodcock was the one that um Graham Henry referred to that like he's especially being told that he had to improve that bit of his game because he was obviously a good enough prop like he was he was going to play for them in the test matches he was that good a, he was that good a prop but they needed him in order to play the sort of game that they were going to play like they expected him to, and and this sort of catch pass thing but then you go but their wingers and their fullbacks understand mauling like it, mm. it is just something else that happens before I get the ball um, they really get it and uh, that that's why they're so difficult to beat. I know Izzy Dag wasn't playing, and look, maybe Severice and uh, Jordan would say something else, but that that's kind of what you're up against. And like that and that permeates a lot of the way down like Joe Schmidt
2: was a winger, you know, so it's um oh like that's just why they're so hard to beat. Yeah, that really high rugby IQ and the growing up a rugby from the cradle onwards and that people are talking about it around the dinner table all the time. And they're talking about the practical things that happen in the rugby pitch and not just the way that people talk about in Ireland, which is like this fucking never changing narrative where it's just always, anytime you get a loss, like the narrative switch, it's harder to get out of the team than in it, you know, (laughs) like it's just all narrative, no detail. You know, all yeah. story, no fact. Um, one of the which I feel very strongly about at the moment, and I, I think it's right to call it out because I was we were saying I think maybe last one that like we we'd only lost against France in in uh, in France and against New Zealand and Eden Park in like fifteen months or something. And, some of, the, some of the coverage that we were, I was reading was fucking bonkers. Absolute bonkers. Uh, about, the Irish, about the Irish rugby team and the Irish rugby system. What was wrong with it? Like this big picture nonsense on the back of one loss. You're going, but the problem with that, the problem with the Irish rugby system there is like the national team had a bad 15 minutes. It doesn't really get that much further than that. And everything else is just like people's fucking pet peeves coming in and out and you use, you use a loss to sort of swirl that, swirl those pet peeves into your big narrative. Like, like uh, uh, We played quite well for, for most of the first test. The first 25 minutes for quite a lot of the second half. We probably played as well in that game as we played in, in the second test. And then we played very well in the third test. In, in the interest of detail
0: then, who would be your centre combination after that tour?
2: Aki and Henshaw, uh, who, I thought, who I thought played really effectively together. I thought Aki was great when he came on in the second test and I thought he was equally good in the third test. And
1: Henshaw's just fucking amazing. Ian? I'd i agree. Yeah. I mean uh Gary Ringrose is brilliant and I hardly done anything wrong. And like I feel like the I just feel like it's we've discussed it before, like the big three at centre. And like they they kind of all know it's gonna be you know, just be picked on form and it'll be two of the three of them and any two of the three of them will go together and they'll do their best. But at the moment I think the two of the three would be would be Bundy and Henshaw.
2: Exactly, same same as in the second row you know, those guys who just played so well together in the last two games, Ryan and Pert and Hendo just goes on the bench and it'll probably change in two or three matches Once somebody makes, you know, takes a knock or somebody comes on and does particularly well, uh, which is a really healthy situation to be in, to
1: be in Yeah Uh, It's it's funny Guy Ringers is like posting a a photo of like it seems like a piece like sharing a photo of everyone on the tour once a day on his on his Instagram stories but he had a nice photo of himself with your man uh Angus Tauva, his name? Tauva. Yeah. yeah having a having a sitting down the couch together before the third test which I thought was pretty sane and I, I mean the other thing to to just to chime in on that like Instagram side of it's like they're all they're all having like the best time of their life professionally and like maybe the best time of their life full stop on this tour which says again echoes um just farrell's like vibes master over schools master um pedigree it must be said
2: yeah interesting i'm I'm not on instagram i don't really know any of that sort of stuff that goes on
1: yeah they're all just posting like personal messages just being like uh genuinely you know like Unbelievable tour. Literally, everyone on it was brilliant. Everything was deadly. We loved it. And like, yeah, whatever. It's sports people talking on Insta on on social media channels. It's not necessarily that interesting, but it seems very, very genuine. And like obviously the smiles on their faces are very, very genuine. Mm. And it just really, it really lends to the idea that like just everyone had like he went down there being like, you can all create history here, you know, and asked them to do it. And they did what he asked and it happened and they're like this is brilliant you know which which, I mean it's it's kind of like that's uh, sports manager 101 (laughs) yeah
0: I I, I asked that because I thought Henshaw was outstanding and again like most times I see him play I think he's Ireland's best player but that second centre channel is so difficult to defend and he did it so well that it, it makes Ireland very, very difficult to attack against because mm-hmm. you've just got this absolute master um, who, who who makes brilliant reads and who loves defending and who loves tackling playing in that position. And look, you know, to, to draw a comparison, <laughs> they seem to draw quite a lot as well. It's like having Virgil van Dijk play centre back, it just makes your entire team play better because your defense the most important place to defend is being defended. Now, like if, if you want to, it's odd because I, I sort of, I, I kind of criticized Josh in a way here because he played really well, but he's not a, he's not a really jacking open side, but it, it, it's, you know, um, that, that's the other position that if you get a guy, like basically you get Levy playing seven, like Levy. And I think it's something I still thought in this tour, I thought, geez, like Levy was like Levy's just so missed because he was so good. And again, like you know, one of my favorite players, so that's probably why i am given it him so much pop because obviously Van Der Veer like had a after having an exceptional season, where he's the best player in Ireland, then went and had an exceptional tour. Um but I just think there's there's something about Henshaw's ability to defend in that channel, which makes Ireland very difficult to defend. And and with Ringrose, there's like Henshaw doesn't have the same attack and threat, but Ireland are um, strong, very strong in the middle of the park with uh, Aki and Henshaw playing. Like Aki's very strong over the ball, very aggressive defender, very good counter rocker, and his passing game has has improved an awful lot. Like you know, it, it's my memory of him when he first arrived was that he was electric but he was an offload machine. Like he'd always take contact and then he'd offload and he could do it, but he wasn't like a big distributor. Like his first thing was run for it, step crash. Um, And he was a great focal point. So his game has really just developed over the course. And I thought that made us very strong. And it was Aki and Ringro started during the six nations. So you know, kind of amazingly, Henshaw couldn't make it, and then it was it was Henshaw and Ringrose started. So Ringrose has been like the favourite player of
2: Captain and Farrell, but I thought the midfield played better without him. Yeah, well, I, I like I sort of think so too. But it just went up, it went up a notch. It seemed I thought Aki was just so impressive in the second test, and then the two of them, Henshaw, Henshaw and Aki were, were on fire in the third test. I'm like Hedgehog had a very good moments in the second test as well, and it's not though as though as not as though I I didn't feel that that uh, Ringrose was playing badly or anything like that. He had good moments, um, but yeah, it's just like that's a strength. You know, there's there's real depth in that in the centres. There's real depth in in the second or There's depth in because th- like I was just looking back at the team the last team that Farrell picked was uh, Ireland versus Scotland has game in the Six Nations, which he won with a bonus point. So, it was an all-Leinster back row in that. So, Peter O'Mahony came into this test team having been on the bench for the majority of, of the Six Nations. And he did great. You know, but it's like, it's like, you know, it's the four into three in this case instead of three into two. You could... You could see in another in another game Conan starting and Darris going to six or Conan starting and Peter Mahoney staying at six.
1: Like I could see that anyway. Just to go back to the, the centres, I thought it was very noticeable how, much, how well we defended that sort of wide, um, or I guess the 13 channel, uh, throughout the second and third test. And I know that Robbie moved out there like early enough, early enough in the in the second test. But I felt that that was a real like that was the vulnerability in us in the first test. The, the first try they scored, <clears throat> which I guess was the most structured one they scored in them from deep, uh, was through really nice passing where Sam Whitelock threw a little reverse pass out, and they got around our thirteen channel and made a huge big break down the side of us. <clears throat> and it seemed like they were trying to do that an awful lot with the structured ball that they got in the last test and in the second test to some extent and they had they got they were shut down completely and I thought in the the second half there must have been something being like either save it up or maybe the management only put it in the heads of the players or maybe it was just Ty Burn's inspirational decision to go I'm picking off this wide pass here to go forward because Joey did it again exactly and like I don't know it, it, I, I don't I, I haven't seen enough Joey uh, Carberry intercepts to call him an intercept machine I can remember one or two he's done for Munster but it, you know it, it, I watched the replay and he, he eyes up that it's a prop who's going to get the ball and he goes I'll nip in and get that and uh, it just they, they were just so similar and they were like part of it was it was such a deconstruction of how New Zealand were attacking that so I thought it couldn't it couldn't be a coincidence
2: Yeah I agree I don't think it was a coincidence I think they'd looked at Aaron Smith and that sort of wide flat path to the occasionally through because it is unusual to see midfield intercepts. You know? Uh so I think I think it was definitely something that they had been alerted to in
1: uh through analysis. I mean that's just the I, I, wider point I guess maybe it stands to uh, us adapting to their game a lot better by defending that channel a lot better, them not adapting to our game whatsoever we kept on finding holes to punch through, even in the good passages of play where we didn't score. Say, for example, um, towards the end of the second test, there was a great carry by Hugo Keenan that ended up in the 22. And I think we ended up giving away a penalty. And then when the sort of the last, our last foray into the, into the 22 at the end of the third test as well, the one that basically ended up with us a, in a scrum, uh, in, in, you know, where we knew the game was over. Mm-hmm. Um, That we just kept on finding holes. Once we could put um, our our passes together, we could find guys coming inside, soft shoulders, and like I I I think, I mean, the third try feels like the most satisfying one in some ways because it was such a complete undressing of them off like first phase ball or like off a set piece and a couple of a couple of one phase later maybe.
2: Yeah, uh, the first the first try and the first test was very good as well. You know, we mm. certainly were capable of playing really good rugby. And as as you said, they tried to attack with with they saw in the first test that they could sort of it looked like they could roast us a bit there at wide. And I think that's where most of their talent is at the moment is in their backline. Uh, I don't think their forwards are. I think it's disjointed. All Blacks pack compared to packs of fast. And I think that's where they tried to beat us. They tried to play snappy, wide-to-wide uh, wide rugby. And uh, we defended it well. Now, they're very capable of, you know, especially Gerardi Svea, of going straight up the goals. And that's when, when they had their purple patch in the third test. It's where they had an awful lot of success, was a couple of repeat carries or... Clever interplay between same sort of way that we had played between two explosive forwards between Akiruani and Artie Sevea who both look fucking amazing in in for about twenty minutes uh, of uh, of that third test and causes massive problems. Um, it seemed
1: like a bit more imp- improvised though
2: on their on their side of it though. It, seemed, it seemed more improvised. like.
1: Yeah. I think it is
2: improvised. I think that they're they're sort of their their problem at the moment is like it's. Compared to other all blacks teams, it's not a well-coached all blacks team. Um and and that I think that they're probably less in the sum of their parts.
0: Yeah, I think I think their starter plays aren't as well thought through at all as as they used to be. And uh, their set piece just isn't uh, dominant enough and, and some of that Comes down to the Selection of the team And You know The balance they have In the back row Like them having Three number sevens Starting I think it was The second test mm. uh, uh, Compromised their line out Whereas with Scott Bard at six um, Their line out Was very good And it it, it Caused us problems And like For as, as much as We made turnovers And, and errors Like I That I struggling the set piece really made the first test difficult for us and it sort of frustrates you and it makes you push things Um whereas their set piece was much better. I, I think it's remiss of us to have got this far into the pod that talking about Ty Byrne. I have never seen a forward an Irish forward performance as good as what he turned out and you know like arguably a player and I'd have to be like O'Driscoll scored three tries in Paris. Johnny Sexton got that drop kick in Paris and i I think both of those, just because they got points on the board, I'd, I'd probably have at, you know, like in my all time, I think mm. I could like take something to surpass O'Driscoll's hat-trick. But Ty Byrne was absolutely immense. Yeah. Um, and I suppose stating the obvious, but uh, again, like with that confidence thing, I just like...
2: Yeah, couldn't get over how good he was. No, he was amazing. And it's, it's what you had said previously about like Josh not being a great jackler. You're going. You have this second row, jackling like the king of the jackals throughout the second half of that game and the first half as well. It's it was just like Vanderploeg's. His relative weakness is at that, but like Tyburn, I've he has such he's such not just a knack for where the balls going to appear but the stick to of this is phenomenal
1: yeah in between the like the vital penalties that he won like on the rewatch i was just like is this the one where he wins the penalty because he's literally in every he's in three of every four and he might be not in the the other fourth one because he's at the bottom of something and haven't tackled the guy like he is just keeps on sticking his head in there, and like his technique is so good. He's so brave. He's so just. Oh, he must be so annoying to play against. I mean, I know. I remember it being pointed out in some analysis that like the answer, like spent an entire semi final just being like clear him out, just target him, clear him out, because he's so he, he's such a different player. But it's also just the fact that he's he steps up to every level that like. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a, something of a doubt over him, like maybe he doesn't have, you know, the size, the height the whatever. He just puts it, he just steps up, keeps on. Like, I didn't think he could play better than he did when he was at the Scarlets. He's put in some like huge performances since then. And then this is like the crowning jewel. And it's funny that I think uh, Gavin Casey made a exact same comparison that a friend of mine made to me after the game of uh, Paul McGraw in the giant stadium as <laughs> best Irish defensive performance as <laughs> a kind of reference point man. like yeah. yeah yeah now let's talk about um a very well a brief performance I think one one <clears throat> worthy of discussion. Uh Joey Carberry came on um not very much time left but got his hands on the ball quite a lot and played He ran, he he played it in an entirely different style than he's been played all tour, essentially. He fixed his man. He like held the ball in both hands and he looked, looked, looked for options and he didn't get touched and he drifted back out and he sort of shaped up his line every time he took the ball on. He took that lovely intercept. Uh, it was, it was only a, it was only a brief cameo and his job was to close out the game as he's done, I think, four times now against New Zealand and um, but he, he he just looked he looked he looked very different um, is there, am I reading too much into it that maybe the, yeah I, the, I
2: think he was I think I was thinking about it a little bit I? I think you are it's good to see him look confident because there was quite a lot of this tour where he hadn't looked confident and he was playing with a degree of confidence which had confused throughout the whole team Um like my feeling on Joey Carvey is when like he's clearly the coach's back up to Sexton. He's played in every single game this season. Um, and he, and then it's equally as obvious that he's not at the same level, not even on the same page as Sexton, but he is the number two at the moment. So they give him some, they give him some, some game time in big games. They start him in other games and they just try and nurse him along. And are just going, hopefully he'll continue to regain his confidence and play uh, a decent standard of number 10. He's got good players inside and outside him. Uh, and he doesn't fill me with confidence. But I was happy to see him not look like a fucking shell of himself uh, as he has looked in, in some other games.
0: I thought it was his best performance for Ireland. Um, I thought he was really good. And I suppose what struck me the most, well, two things. One was the organisation that he did, that he displayed, like how well he arranged guys around him. that it, it, He didn't just seem to have one option all the time. He seemed to have a few guys. And then when he has that, he's got the sleight of hand to be able to give it to whoever he wants, really. Like you're, you're not sure who's going to get the ball. And the second one was how, how flat to the line he played, whereas although he should play flat to the line all the time, he doesn't, he, he, he sort of stays deep. But the organisation piece was far bigger. So um, hopefully it's a harbinger of things to come. Um, and he, he, he just goes on from, I, I, I thought it was great, you know, and I've obviously spent a lot of time criticising him and you know, when you do that, it sort of sounds like you've an axe to grind against somebody, but it's really
2: just um, let's just you say,
0: what say you, see. What you see.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, like I have to go further against it because like he only played for four minutes. Like, you know, he didn't like it's. A it, part of me is saying it's it's good that he played well for four minutes, but it's only four minutes, so
1: I'm not going to get too excited about it. Okay, on the subject of. Um, Uh, weaning us down off this uh, (laughs) unbelievable high Uh, I thought Ireland were a bit lucky uh, to not to only get to get away with I I think one yellow card for two head-to-head contacts that were um, our fault Uh, Bundy didn't even get penalised and um, Porter I felt was a bit fortunate to
2: did oh, not yeah. get red, red
1: card was going to get red-carded,
2: given how the game was refed just the previous week. Really yeah. similar instance. I thought it was going to be a red. Bundy's yeah. one, funny I, enough, I didn't think it was anything. It was just like, I only saw one camera shot of it. It showed it in slow motion. They're both engaging at a ruck, and it's like, going like this doesn't look like anything to me.
1: It was, I mean, he bound on him. He hit with the shoulder rather than the head. Like They're both... I, 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 you know, I just I was more expecting it than, because it was like, try from it uh, the one in the corner and then, um, the prop was down, uh, Ola, Ola Tunga Fassi, and, <clears throat> you know, the Kiwi director was able to find the clip quickly enough before the game started again. So I kind of thought that like it being on screen might might prompt a might prompt something but um, I mean and Barnes and his TMO did agree about the Porter thing as well I will say that it, like he said well the way I see that is that he's a soaker not a you know stepping into it and TMO goes yeah I agree Barnes whatever and like
2: as has the citing commissioner they've said yeah that was the right call but
1: I you know what I'm saying I is that say, I yeah. expected it to go the other way I, I, I could I can imagine a world where it goes the other way and sort of no one complains either basically uh and then the other thing just to yeah so uh as one of the i was reading a comment on the one of gary doyle's articles in the 42 and it was someone just being like you know we've hit the highs before people have you know analyzed this and found this out uh to quote the all blacks mantra when you're on top of your game change your game so um You bring a much smaller squad to the World Cup than you do on this tour. Uh, For all the people saying it should have been a bigger squad, you bring thirty-three to the World Cup, not forty. Play one less pool game, obviously, than this, and you play against probably weaker opposition for most of it. Um, But to add to this Irish team, uh, you know, what is it that who do we add next to this um, extremely successful? You know, you know,
2: like I I think this is a key point. You're not adding anybody. Like, I think that there's maybe Balakun, you know, or Stockdale. I don't think they both come in at the same time. Um, If they both play amazingly, maybe they do both come in. Like, Kelleher comes back in as hooker somewhere, whether it's two or one, who knows. Uh, Conway comes back into the mix. Conway and Earls are the same player, essentially. Balakun and Stockdale are the same player. You know, where do they fit? Can you fit them into the same? You're, like, you have to cut, like, 43 players ended up playing out in, in New Zealand. We'll have to cut 10 of those for, let's say, we're planning to play at least five games. That gets us up to a quarter final. And then you see, where do we fall down? Well, we, we almost fell down in the front row. Like, you do, you do need a lot of front rows out on tour. And we're not as far away. We've been playing in France so they can get there quicker if we have injuries and whatnot. But to have viable scrummaging, to have enough people on the bench, like you are going, I think it's probably going to be maybe a 19, 14 split between fours and backs. I could see 18, 14. But for the most part, you have to bear in mind, you're taking players away that were on this tour, as many as 10, you know, possibly more because you say we're definitely going to add in Kelleher. So, like, what I, I think my personal take in this is, and I'm only saying this because it's coming up, like, I'm not wild on talking about the World Cup. It's, it's you know, it's 13 months down the line. <laughs> but, like, I think one of the things that's, like, bolters are fucking stupid. Bolters don't work, you know? So, and then just pick, like, I, I don't think we're going to have, um, like, loads of changes. I think it's mostly going to be the players, if you were trying to select a conservative squad, I have conservatives in apostrophes there, that would be the squad that Farrell will select. Nine front rowers, four second rowers, six back rowers, uh, six halfbacks, three centers, and five back three players. And it's not going to be three bolters, and it's not going to be lads who. Didn't do well on this tour. I think
0: Bal- Balakun is the the one that I'm really curious to see. But then, like like Hugo says, the like Balakun and Stocktail are sort of the same player. And, and like Stocktail's scoring record, I'm going to say is better than Balacoon. It's Better than everybody's. Um, even with a you know relatively lean spell, like even like the match that he came on. Shit, I can't remember if he came on or if he moved to the wing but in Paris the sort of the first match the first series back after COVID with the delayed Six Nations yeah were to score and Stockton just came on or me and he's got, his, he's got his hands on the ball and like he's just got a threat like nobody else Um and then Balakoon is so fast that he gives you something just completely different than what Irish rugby has ever had uh, yeah He's faster than even Dennis Hickey. So um, those those are the main ones. And then the obvious ones in terms of Hendo and Keller come back into your front five uh,
2: selections. Um, Kill Coyne as well will come in as the uh, third choice, said. Yeah.
0: Killer's not that young and not that... I, I don't know if he runs out of road, but anyway, look, you know,
2: yeah, yeah, probably does. And then Treadwell did well in this tour. So I think Treadwell just becomes the number four second row. You know, and I think the back row is exactly, it's like the same back rows that that are on this tour. Uh, except no Prendergast, no Baird. It's like, it's the four that played in the Tests, plus Coombs, plus Timoney. Like, I think it's people trying to sort of finagle their way in of like, maybe Jack Boyle will make it. I'll fucking tell you now, he won't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Kenlin will make it. No, he won't. Okay. So um, not, I don't know why. Like, not not really wild about talking about that. What I really mostly want to do is just talk a little bit
1: about the All Blacks and where they are. Yes. Uh, well, that's what I was going to move to next. Exactly. Um, so the. A lot of the uh, again listening to NZ punditry after this, there's sort of a reticence to fully put the boot into Ian Foster. I think everybody thinks he's a decent, um, decent guy and probably a good coach. Who a lot of them have worked with or interacted with at some point, but they're all a bit like mystified as to why the All Blacks uh, look uh, so shapeless. I think uh, is the main thing, and. Um, you know, he he's in a treacherous position, and he's got to go to South Africa in three weeks' time to play two tests away at altitude. Uh, and South africa I mean—they've been beaten by Wales recently for the first time, but they're they're, they're world champions, and they're a seriously tough outfit to go and play at altitude. So, um, you said you thought he'd go. You thought you said he you thought he'd go regardless. Last time we talked.
2: Yeah. I haven't changed I, I haven't changed my opinion. Like and you know that it's not like me to call for X's head or anything like that. But I I don't see that the all blacks are gonna get better underneath them. I think they should make the change sooner rather than later. Uh like Foster used to coach uh the Chiefs after uh after Rennie and like I like the Chiefs and I, I, I thought Foster was a good coach and he's not a bad coach but um he might be only a good coach and the All Blacks are coming from having Steve Hansen and, and Graham Henry who are two of the greatest coach and Wayne Smith yeah Jesus and Wayne Smith. So you've had three of the greatest coaches you know, you could say the three greatest coaches of the pro, the professional era. It's an incredibly high bar to live up to and he's not living up to
0: it. I yeah, I that that's an interesting one, like whether they wear the three. So like when Henry was at Wales, he wasn't good. Um he obviously got the Lions job, but like that wasn't a good line. They had a brilliant Lions team with that with the poor Lions tour. And then when Steve Hantham was at Wales, Wales weren't particularly good then either. Um, but as a combo, it really seemed to work, and it, it's kind of odd because I would have always thought like you need one guy in charge, like you need to know who the main guy is. But, um, those three guys really, really worked well, mm. and then obviously Hanson took over, you know, when Henry stepped away, and they didn't really replace Henry like for like, and obviously hard to do, but, um. Do you, like, do you think any team could do that again, or do you think that was just a combination of personalities and the fact that it had been so long since they'd won the World Cup that
2: it? it no, worked? I don't think they could do it again. It's a good question. I don't think they can do it again. Um, also, they such like they had this amazing collection of individuals that were, um, and even we were talking briefly earlier today about maybe some of the under overlooked players. Like we always talk about Richie McCaw, Dan Carter, Nanu Smith, fucking Kevin Maylehammer. You can just keep on going on Kino, Kieran Reed, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But like we were talking about some of the some of the, uh, the props that they had. You know, the Franks brothers, Woodcock, Moody, Wyatt Crockett. And I was saying to you guys earlier that like I think that the all blacks props uh, in this series were their biggest weakness I think their second row have sort of like Brody Retallick I, I thought he got concussed in the second test and he certainly got concussed in the third test don't think he's he's in a bit of a lull in form at the moment like he's not he's not too old you know he's only I think he's 30, 31 but like their front five I thought was just like very ordinary I think, I think that they're Like Save is amazing. Uh I think Sam Kane is very ordinary and looks overawed at the moment. Like I don't I just I think that there's a there's a lot of issues in their pack actually. But then on the other hand, I think like Jesus, that pack could play an awful lot better.
0: Yeah, I'm I go back to having the three guys and it's something that uh, possibly you wrote Ian in in 2011 in in the blog about the report card that we did for the World Cup and it was called the Inner Peace Gang and it was was built around Graham Henry when he just retired, commented that the victory would give him inner peace and I go back to that idea of having three coaches um, and I'd always think of of Henry as being the head coach that's a better look (laughs) Um, and been able to sort of rotate the pressure. Um, like, I, I I, just feel that Foster, Fozzie looks like he's under a lot of pressure. And I think he's the third best. Jesus, like, arguably lower than this. I think he's the third best New Zealand coach at the moment. Like, I think Scott Robertson and David Rennie would both be better for the All Blacks. Um, I kind of think they bring... More, I think they bring more vibes. While at the same stage, being really clever on their rugby, but um, so he's he's he's. What
2: about Joe Schmidt?
0: I think that, um, I think it'd be really. T- I I think Joe spent himself at Ireland, being being blunt. Like I think, I think it'd be very difficult, energy wise for Joe to take on the Kiwi job mm-hmm. um, unless he was going to do it with somebody else or three people. Like I, I I think he could be a good, I think if he could rotate us with, you know, Vern Cotter and, you know, I don't know. Do you need to, do you need to have it with somebody else? But I just think like he, he looked wrecked at the end of Ireland's 2019 world mm-hmm. cup. You look wrecked at the end of Ireland's 2019 Six Nations. That just the intensity of doing that international job and putting so much into it, there's only so much energy a person has. And I, I just think that's it for Joe. So, like, I think that Joe Schmidt would be a brilliant assistant coach um, because he's he he just knows so much about the game mm. and he works so hard. But as a head coach, I just think, don't think the energy's there. And he he probably be the one to prove you wrong, like or, or to try to prove you wrong and work hard. But I I, I don't know if that's a good I don't know if that's a good fit. Like you, you kind of need like you need to be Klopp or you need to be Andy Farrell to like you almost make it look effortless. Although like you work really hard, I just think I think Joe's too stressed about the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I can see, it, but I will make one point in the in the in the lead up to the first test. There was an awful lot of talk about. It. Um, Fozzie and Plumtree not being able to coach the team and Joe Schmidt stepping in to coach New Zealand and Joe those guys appeared wearing their masks the two coaches appeared in their masks but like that was the game in which New Zealand absolutely shredded Ireland and nobody nobody commented on it afterwards like because Joe Schmidt wasn't in the box, like doing his intense talking into the mic while holding the little hand out of the mic in his hand and talking into it at the same time. Nobody mentioned like it was all the talk beforehand and then it was none of the talk afterwards when it panned out like the Ireland's worst fears panned out. You know, the Joe Schmidt stepped in to coach all blacks and they did shred us. So mm-hmm. I, I'm with you though. I think that Joe would be, like, his role as the Grant Fox role, the, the third voice, is a really good role for him. I, I think, to the, to my understanding of it is, Foster hasn't really had that with him yet, because um, Joe didn't want to coach against Ireland, um, and only stepped in at the last moment because the other lad's got COVID. So we might see a, a different New Zealand, a tighter more coherent New Zealand against South Africa. Because one of the other things, which I've said to you guys as well, but I, like you, you notice when you're, when you're watching a team, you're following a team, you, you notice your knock-ons really, or your missed tackles, and you're very critical of your dropped kicks. You're really critical of them. And then where, when the other team just does them, you just sort of take them, oh, that just happens. You know, that happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes you do drop a pass. You know, like, how many fucking passes do the All Blacks drop? In that uh, in that test series, loads, and they weren't all because we put them under pressure. You know, they weren't all ball and man at the same time, or man and ball, as they often say. Uh, some of them were just like drops. Some of them were bad passes. You're going like that is not all black. Uh, and you know, you just tend to sort of oh, how did we get that scrum? Oh yeah, they dropped the ball, or Sam Kane sort of bobbled it when he was picking it up, or oh, that's David Haverly just sort of of knocked it on. You're going, these are just not things you're used to seeing from New Zealand. Basic errors in catch pass, players overrunning passes. Um, Like we're used to seeing the the canny things like close every line out with the first step. Um, You know, tackle players beyond the ruck, which was closed down on an awful lot in the second test. Uh, But we're not used to seeing basic errors. There were far more of them in this in this edition of the All Blacks, and I can never recall saying back to sort of Grizz Wiley All Blacks. Yeah,
0: um, I think though Joe would be a great addition as a as an assistant coach. I mm. I just wonder though about the the vibes man and in, in that combo. Like I I don't see it from Foster. No I vibes there, Trump, and I I don't see it from Plumtree, and I don't see it from Joe. Like it's Whereas I see it from Rennie and I, I see it from Robertson, and um, I don't know. Like I, it doesn't—it doesn't it seem to me to be much more complicated than that. So mm. I think I think Joe would be a great assistant coach for anybody.
1: Mm. Um. Yeah, he's, he's 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 kind of come in as a yeah. You know, Senior advisor role, I think in in Auckland this season with Leon McDonald as the main coach. Yeah, yeah, and they've yeah. done really well. And they got to the final. They were beaten by Scott Robertson's um, Crusaders mm-hmm. team. Um, yeah, it, it seemed like I think overall, my big picture taking it without without being an, an expert on New Zealand <laughs> by any means is that there was sort of when the last when the gig came up the last time there was the option of picking the third of the three in, you know, the Graham Henry Brains trust. Yeah. Or turning up and picking the, the clop of rugby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is a pretty big left turn for like, what is essentially probably a very conservative organization, like the NZO review. And they went for the the third of three and it kind of is like, it feels a bit like they kept on going back to the well. And like, I'm sure Foster's also put in a lot of work and a lot of hard yards being part of that ticket with with Hanson and so on. Yeah. It might just be that he's also not like, I mean, he's kind of a, you know, stoic enough guy <laughs> win today, win tomorrow. <laughs> um, you know, which I love. Uh, so it could be, you know, that could be another element. Another element. Yeah. Play.
2: But Ian, but think, think about it of the boot room, right? You start off with Shankly and then you get Paisley. And then who's, who's the next person? Yeah. Joe Pagan. Joe Pagan. You know, like, Joe Fagan,
1: God rest him, like not a bad manager by any means. You know, but he only did he only did the two, two seasons, seasons, and then, then it was Kenny. Yeah, and Kenny is a different generation. You know, they changed things up. He was part of the boot room, but he was he was you know solidly a generation younger than the three men who preceded. But that, him. that that that's
2: exactly the parallel I'm drawing. It's like yeah, the fu- right. fuzzy fuzzy is in there, but he was he was. He was the smallest personality in the boot room. And then he, he got the run, you go, job's too big for you. That is yeah, what it is.
0: I think it was, I, I, I look at it from the other angle of who's employing him, that that Henry's. I think Henry was the one who was either leading or was very influential in the selection process. And it came down to Foster and, and Robertson and... It seemed to be that Henry was the one who made the choice for Foster. Now I'm I'm pretty putting two and two together there, but like Henry was definitely in the selection process. So that strikes me more like going for Moise Moyes if you're Ferguson. And you can argue, well, Moyes was hand picked, and Moyes has done a good job at West Ham, you know. So like mm. and he done a good job at Everton beforehand, but on a different scale, a club with lower ambitions, um, and not, not to torture it too much, but just um He's 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 not from that like super level of being Klopp or being Tuchel or being Guardiola or being Conte even who've been successful in different countries, um, successful in different leagues, like speak different languages. Like you're talking really, really slick individuals. Um, so look, you, you can only torture that analogy so much, but I, I I do look like Rennie and Robertson. Robertson played over in France with Toulouse. Um, David Rennie had coached in Scotland, had been successful with Waikato, had sort of broken that Auckland-Canterbury duopoly. Yeah. Um, had had sort of... He turned a bunch of guys... He sort of... He, he seemed to find players in unusual situations and get a lot from them rather than necessarily taking the most polished candidates from the best academy system. Um And he's, he's a very curious individual or any, like I, I, he seems to be just a superb coach.
2: Oh yeah. But he is, he is like his, you, what you said is exactly right. He put together two teams back-to-back uh super rugby winners uh from the Waikato Chiefs. Waikato had never won it before. They never, They had a previous run to the final where they'd have to play a very good Blue Bulls team in uh, Loftus. Yeah, on on a week's notice, (laughs) tough. They got absolutely whipped in the final. That was the Masaga team with Stephen McDonald, and um, so Ren put together a team where he got lads from Heartland, and he made them like got them into his team. Like there were some big players in there. Sonny Bill Williams was there one year. Uh Charlie Natai and Bundiaki were there another year. Uh, Tikoira Tuma was there. I, I they were a particular favorite of mine uh, back, back then, that team, with Liam Mess and Fritz Lee were in the back row. Latimer. Um, but he he did a great job of putting that team together. Then he went over to Glasgow, did a good job with the Glaswegians. And now he's with Australia and he's a big personality. Like his 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 how he came to coaching is unusual as well. like he used to own pubs he wasn't like a school teacher like so many new zealand coaches yeah uh, he was a, like a champion ballroom dancer and a guy who owned pubs and he's a he's funny like when you if you see, meet him personally, he's a very big dude with a big head big hands <laughs> <He's> <laughs> a, a big person and he's a sort of a big quietly confident idiosyncratic person uh Whereas, whereas like it seems like Fuzzy is like he's more like the Kieran Kane cut 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 a small chunk out of a New Zealand farm, and that's Ian Foster or Kieran Kane, like dour, taciturn, wryly funny, quiet, but like very much of a type. Um, and you know that's like I don't I don't have any ill will towards them. I'm not normally a person who goes like sack the board, sack this fella, sack that fella. But I just think, like, for me, it's like, no, this is this guy is not going to do it for you at the World Cup. It's not going to get
1: better. Make the decision now. That definitely seems to be echoed by all the uh, NZ um, punditry, as I said, I keep on saying I've watched this. But uh, yeah, it was either, like, Back him on the side of a a side of play that you're going to take forward for the next 15 months or do it now and make the change now. Um, Yeah. Because it certainly feels like they're, 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 they look a bit lost. There's lots of talent, but they look a bit lost at the moment. Oh, I, I agree. Yeah.
2: I was saying one of the, one of the, like, one of the issues they've had is they haven't been able to get in a couple of players. Into the into the back five of the pack, which you'd like, they play Akira Ioani showed up for them in the third test. You know the guy, as I said to you, I've probably said it five times on this podcast. Like, definitely the most talented under twenty I've ever seen, and he should have fifty caps already by now, uh, and he should be the All Blacks number eight and play Hardy at seven and make him captain and then play Scott Barrett at six. That's. But like you can't, you cannot trust Akira. You know, you can't trust him. It's a fucking massive issue. I'm surprised he even got paid for this because like he's not. He's the sort of person you can't <laughs> trust. I've said it so often. Like, and then the other fellow who you can trust, he's just really unfortunately a terrible injury. It's Perry Perry Parkinson, who's just a wonderful athlete in the second row. Uh, Really tall, really athletic, great hands, full of energy, and he just has a catastrophic injury at the moment. You know, which he picked up eight months ago, and is still on his way back from. So, I think those guys add a lot, but I do think I don't know where, where they're going to get as many props as they need from. I think Hooker, I think their entire front row is like not good. Uh, it's one of the worst all black front rows I can remember.
1: Yeah. Agree with that. I well, I yeah, it's one of those I mean, not that Dane Coles wasn't hasn't been a, a brilliant player, but I was just sort of surprised to see that he's still the the sub hooker because he seems like he's been around for ages and he's like his best I mean, years are definitely behind
2: him. Yeah, he's had a lot of concussions and his best years are behind him.
1: Yeah, like and he, and yeah. he was a brilliant player who like yeah frequently be popping up in the five meter channel scoring a try against us. I'm not disparaging him at all, but uh yeah. Just feels like I was surprised to see. It's like, oh, they, they still don't have a new hooker. And also, it just seems like there's always a guy in the back line, on debut, as Nesbo says. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but whereas, um, yeah, just uh, a lot... And like the second row has been the same two main faces for a long time. And um, yeah, just... I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they beat South Africa and won the games. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not blown
2: away having seen them South Africa play against Wales. Like South Africa haven't changed. South Africa haven't uh, nothing about South Africa has, has uh, evolved. It's the same South African team, same personnel, essentially, same game plan. You know, kick the ball away, tackle like fucking crazy more and scrummage.
1: Andy.
0: I wonder if um, I, I I wonder what they do with Bodie. Um, I, I was trying to think of there's some is is Bodie Baird now a problem or some sort of clickbait headline and do you put him do you put him to fullback? Is he is he the problem? Um there uh I just I, I don't know, like there was always a bit about Bodie that you always wonder, like, is he too good? Like, you, can you get somebody like this who you you take the under 10 approach and just play your best player at out half because he gets the ball in space the most often? Like you, you're not waiting to see. Like when Bodie was an under 20, he was playing fullback. He's obviously played fullbacks for the All Blacks. Um and as a team a lot of the time they've been at their best in transition, you know, they've been at their best counter-attack and that's where they score a lot of their tries. That's the sort of the approach that, that, that the teams have taken towards them is like, you know, put the ball into touch and, and force them to have lineouts. And I guess that's kind of a weakness. If you're, if your set piece isn't as good as it used to be. Uh, so it used to be, you know kick the ball off the pitch against them but then you give them a set piece and a starter play and the guarantee to get the ball mm. and they've got something really clever lined up with a wrinkle in it you know so they've got the ball skills to do one of two things but they can change at the last fraction of a second whereas now they're not even guaranteed to get the ball and so look i i, I don't know I'm just um they're sort of the decisions they have to make you know do they do they go with Moanga, who's the obvious guy at ten, and move Bodhi to fifteen? And how does that affect them? Um, do you put Tavisa Shek into the, yeah. into the midfield and,
2: and, and get your wrinkle that way? Um, or do you put Bodhi into twelve? Because the twelve is like David Havley is was their worst was their worst back. Like I, I think Joanne's a a really good thirteen. I think Jordan Bart's really good fifteen. Um, I don't think there's a problem on the wings. Yeah, you could. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's a team of wingers.
2: Te- team That's of wingers. Really All you have is I would have some wingers in the team. <laughs> like, you know. yeah.
1: First fives.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like I, My feeling is that. Backs is not where they're hurting. us. like the forwards is where, where they don't have what they used to have. Uh, but they still have a lot of talent to play with in, in terms of the back line. Like going, you have to make that work. Whoever the coach is has to get more out of that back line. Yeah, and I, I, I think you need
0: to you need to put... Uh, you need to put Savay at seven. I agree. Um, and then... Figure around that. Who who are you going to play at eight? Uh Obviously, you can get Joanny playing. If you can, if you can sort of do a deal with Joanni to get him to tune in for the next eighteen months, you make him your 8 I'm very dubious about his ability to uh, uphold his end of the bargain. But like, I, I don't know that much against the blow. I, I just know that he's. You've talked about him I mean, like being outrageously talented for so long, and it just not. Not landing not landing for him and, you know, look, I, yeah, I don't know. But, like, you see him ball carry. And I, I think that was the thing that, one of the things that struck me was when the Kiwis are chasing one of their kicks and Keenan and uh, Matt Hansen were chasing back, I was there going, look how much faster their guys are than our guys. Mm. Like New Zealand's best athletes play rugby, ours don't. And you, you just sort of see the net effect of what that's like when guys are in a foot race that you just go like, they've just more access to faster guys than Mm. we do. And it's, it's not just about pace, but it's, it is, it is that thing of just how how much ability there is in, in Kiwi rugby. So like you said it earlier, Ronnie, and it it makes the rugby championship really, really interesting um, because we've, we've, We've such context on this Kiwi team now um, that you know how how do they evolve? How do they react? Um, do they evolve? Um, is it's much more relevant than in years gone by when we didn't play them in the in the winter time.
1: Yeah, and I think also just the fact that we saw concurrently, exactly the same time, Wales play a series. Uh, against um, South Africa and England play a series in Australia so we 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 all saw this um, you know Northern Hemisphere versus Southern Hemisphere dialogue going on and then also the fact that we've seen a lot more of the South Africans in our own league for the last two two seasons but or a few seasons but in particular this season with the introduction of like essentially the stronger South African teams so uh, it feels an awful lot like the whole of the you know, the big five teams up north and the, um, the big three teams in the southern hemisphere. Uh, it, it feels like everyone's a lot, a lot, a lot closer together in terms of quality um, than they have been for a long time. It feels like the the north is playing, has played, has done a lot of catch up uh, to the south. Yeah, I think it's fair to say. Right. We will leave it there uh for tonight and for the season and thank you to everyone for listening and for any contributions or donations you made in our coffee page. Greatly appreciated and made it a lot easier to do this year and uh, we'll chat to you soon. Thank you for listening. Good night. Thank you very much. Good night. Mm-hmm.